A reading from Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then, the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow? and gather where I do not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave... Throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A talent, I read, was about 75 pounds of silver. 20 years of labor for an average worker. About $600,000 in our money today. Over the years, that's become about our talents and our gifts, whether it's singing or playing organ or any other thing that we might do. But in the beginning, that parable was about stewardship and being entrusted with something. It's about taking God faithfully. And taking God faithfully necessarily means that we must first view God with love and trust 
rather than with suspicion. I think that the third slave just couldn't find it in himself to trust the master. He viewed the master with suspicion and fear. He understood him, he said, to be a harsh man. But the master didn't confirm that. He just said, you understood me to do this, did you? The master certainly didn't demonstrate that he was harsh when he gave 20 years of wages to him, did he? Truly, we, how we perceive a person or even some system that we are called to invest in has a great deal with how we'll respond to a gift from somebody. If we don't trust a person, we won't like the gift. If we don't like them, we might not like their gift. The same is true for the systems that we're called to participate in this life. And I wonder if it could be that the third servant just could not see the goodness of the master when the master handed him all that money. I wonder if he simply just couldn't see the goodness of the master before him. When the master trusted him with his property. And instead of accepting the master's actions as invested in him, he seems to have been convinced and paralyzed by the fear that the master was actually testing him. All of us have had the experience of mistrusting someone or something. And I think I know exactly how that third slave felt. When I began work in November of 1998 with the second architectural firm I worked for, they told me I would have to sit down with the investments representative from, I think it was Smith Barney at the time. His name was Bob. He managed the retirement system. And Bob came to talk to me because at that firm they matched, well at that time, nobody does this anymore, but they used to match whatever I put in by 50%. And that seemed to me like too good of an opportunity to pass up, but I was terrified of the stock market and terrified to put money in anything other than a bank account. But Bob sat down with me and he described the three options I had. I could list my contributions as high risk, and if I listed them as high risk, I could make more money faster that I would have greater gains if I just risked a little bit of security. And like those first two slaves, I would have had to really trust that system to do that. Or, he said, I could list my contributions as low risk, and that would mean that even if the bottom fell out of the economy, most of my money would survive that I might lose the 50% the firm had paid in, but I probably would never lose what I put in. And Bob gave me those three choices, high risk, medium risk, and low risk. And Bob says, so David, where do you want to put your money? And I said, Bob, in coffee cans in the backyard. I actually said PVC pipes. PVC pipes in the backyard. And you know what Bob said to me? He said, sounds like you're a low risk kind of guy. And Bob was right. And I think I would have been just like that third slave. I would have been terrified of that master and paralyzed and unable to do what he had asked me to do. I'm afraid of that. That having placed that much responsibility in me, I might have fallen away and been scared to try 
and to risk not just the master's money, but even my well-being. The third slave's activity is so bad because it's done in fear and a lack of trust in the master. The master invested him according to the abilities that the master believed he had. But he simply couldn't trust that. One preacher named Delmer Chilton has said that this text is not given to us to terrify us about how we live with the things of God. But rather it's given to us to call us to take seriously what God has invested in us. To take our lives as God's people seriously. That it doesn't matter in the end how productive we are, but it matters greatly that we tried. The third slave's failure to use the gift of the master faithfully was rooted in his fear of the master. He was unable to be faithful to the master's intentions for him because he simply couldn't accept that the master's intentions were good. He believed he was being tested rather than vested. For the other two, it was not so. And they doubled the master's money, and when they came back, the master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but when I stand before Christ, I want to hear those words, do you? I want to hear my Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if it's true for you or not, but I actually think that what I'll probably hear is, What in the world were you thinking? And I'm prepared for that. But only because I trust the Master. My hope is that I won't be found to have been unafraid, to be afraid or simply unwilling to invest myself in other people, to let people in and to be available to other people or to love people or to take the risk of telling somebody about Christ. Do you ever feel that way? Maybe you're just not up to the challenge that maybe you're afraid. Perhaps this parable is challenging us to ask ourselves if we trust the Master. If we trust Christ to do what He's called us to do. If we trust Him enough to try to be who He's called us to be. Perhaps we're being asked to examine closely our picture of God. What do we think of God? Is God gracious or stern? Is God loving or judgmental? Is God eager for peace or prone to violence? Is God a vengeful tyrant or a gracious and loving parent? How do you view God, church? Does the image you have of God, your understanding of God, does it match the revelation of God that we have in Jesus? After all, Jesus told Philip that if he had seen him, he had seen the Father. He said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
The writer of Hebrews says to us that the sun is the exact radiance of God's glory, that He's the exact representation of God's very being, that everything God the Father is, God the Son was and is. Paul says in Colossians that He's the image of the invisible God. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Through Jesus, God made peace with us, Paul says. Maybe Jesus told this parable just before He would go and die to force us to ask ourselves, what do we believe about God the Father? Jesus told them this parable right before He went and died for them and for us. To show us who God really is. If our image of God is built on anything other than Jesus' revelation of God's amazing love, then maybe our image is wrong. The first Sunday of every month, our words are, God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is plainly and apparently viewable for us in the cross of Christ. If our image of God is anything like the third slave's image of the Master, then our image is wrong. If we stand in His place believing God to be harsh, perhaps it's time to reconsider what God has done for us. He gave His one and only Son over to death so that we might live. God is not harsh. God is love. And so we're set free to use whatever gifts, whether it's money, whether it's talents, like things we're able to do, abilities, whatever hope we have, whatever love we have, whatever joy we have in our life is a gift from God to be used to increase it for His glory. But if we believe that God is harsh and unforgiving, then we'll be afraid to fail. And then we'll be afraid to try and we might as well bury our salvation in a can in the backyard. Paul said that we've been saved for the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a way of saying that the Master is entrusting to us a greater treasure than we can ever imagine. Putting it in our hands to be stewards of it. And if we see God as a harsh taskmaster, master and a harsh judge, then we're doomed for failure. Because we won't be serving Him. We'll be serving our desire for His approval. And we will bury the good news of Christ. But if we remember always that God has shown us His love for us in Jesus, we will truly be able to take God not just seriously, but faithfully. And know that God will not fail us. God will not give up on us. God will not relegate us to the sidelines of history. God will not ignore us or leave us to struggle alone. Our image of God matters greatly. Because together we've been trusted by God 
with the greatest treasure there is. As followers of Christ, we are slaves of Christ, entrusted, dear ones, with the good news of Christ. That sin and death no longer have the final say. That God has been at work in Christ, reconciling us to Him to give us life, to give us joy and hope, to fill our hearts with love, not just for ourselves, but for others and for God. Let us not respond to that in fear by digging a hole to bury that treasure in, by ignoring what's plainly in us, by being afraid to take the risk of loving people. No. Let us take God faithfully, trusting that God will empower us to make the most of the gifts that God has given us. To love others, to know others, to care for others, and trusting that failure is forgivable. The worst thing that we could do is join that third slave and ignore what Christ has trusted us with. How do you see God? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.